Okay, we're back on Talk of the Now. At least that's our working title here for this podcast. Um, going to talk today a little bit about just some things on my mind. don't have anybody as a uh, guest host or a guest interviewer or anything like that or interviewee. But today I just kind of wanted to talk about some things that are on my mind. Um, mainly, thinking about books that I've been reading. Um and history. I've been a I'm a big history buff and I've been thinking about the uh Mayflower. I've read a few things about it. And just what what happened in the Mayflower and how that happened and you know kind of the American history side of things. Um you know freedom, things like that. Um I mean I know it's a a large subject to talk about and many things to talk about with it, but I was just thinking about like William Bradford, him coming over in the Mayflower, taking. Oh, you know, I watched a documentary a few weeks ago about the Mayflower. It's a PBS documentary. I think the American Experience is what they call it, and it was really good. It was sort of a drama, dramatized deal where they showed William Bradford, and he was, you know, they had an actor that played him. I forgot the actor's name. Um, but he just sort of dramatized William as he was, I I think reading direct quotes from William as well really makes me want to read William's book. He's got a book that, um, he wrote this basically a history of the Plymouth colony, which I plan to read. But anyway, just thinking about how they were pilgrims. They were stuck in England, if you will, I won't go into too many details. I mean, you, I guess you could read the book. There's a Mayflower book that I want to read sometime about this. But they were stuck in this society that didn't appreciate them and didn't even want them, I guess. Where they weren't allowed to, you know, worship and, I guess, be who they wanted to be in their religion. As it seems to be that they called it back then more so than just, maybe today you might say, worship in their Christianity or what have you. you might say religion but back then religion could mean church of england or it could mean worship how you wanted to in your own christian church or have your own christian church for that matter so you're thinking about i'm thinking about that and they go from feeling persecuted feeling like they couldn't do what they wanted to do as their own miniature society in the larger society didn't want to join the anglican church i guess and so what do they do? They decide to up and move to Holland, where people weren't being, you know, ostracized, I guess, ignored or neglected from society. They just decided that they wanted to go to Holland, and they were going to start their lives there. And so they went there, and then after a few years, hey, it's a, I think it was 10 years maybe even, 5 to 10 years, I'd have to double check that, but, you know, they... They go there and nothing's working. They're they're sort of back into a rut, you know, not being able to live the life they want to live, raise their kids the way they want to live. And so they set their eyes to America, which if you know anything about American history, by that time, the Americans had already established a little bit, especially in the colonies of um, Virginia, the Virginia colony. And I don't think that the Massachusetts colony had been invented. I actually, I think that uh, it was chartered first with Plymouth, and I could be wrong about that, so don't correct me on that one. I have to double check. However, you know, Virginia was well established, Jamestown, you know, settlement, and I'm 
I believe Williamsburg might have already been settled. And so they decide that they're just going to take the risk and go to America and settle there. And so they go there. And what happens is, or they decide to go there, I should say, they decide to take a risk. They go and they sacrifice time. They just sacrifice their money, their energy, all into taking that risk to go to America. And what and what does it, you know, what's the cost of that? I tell you what the cost was. The cost was huge. It was an enormous cost to do this. You had to go there, you know, knowing, go into it knowing that you don't know how you're going to come out of it. Not knowing what's going to happen, who's going to die, how you're actually going to get there, how you're going to obtain a ship to actually go to America. And William Bradford, you know, he's going to be one of the head honchos to the forefront. He's going to be trying to make it actually happen. The Pilgrims, they obtain their ship. They get their ship, which wasn't the Mayflower, by the way, which I didn't know until recently when I was reading about it. It was actually the um, another ship that I don't remember the name of it right now. This ship, which didn't actually turn out to be the, a ship that would be able to go with them. And so they end up with the Mayflower. They go back to England. They get some more people. You know, the Mayflower was not the original Pilgrims. That was not their ship, so to speak. It was basically used to take them to America. And so when they leave, you've got these 50-ish people, I believe it was, that are the actual pilgrims or separatists, I think that they were called in then as well. And so the separatists or the pilgrims, they are going to be going, and they add 50 other people. And these other guys, they're just adventurers, they're sailors or people that want to just, you know, get a new life. They, they they don't even have anything to do with the pilgrims. They don't care about the pilgrims necessarily. Pilgrims, they're coming aboard. And that what you read is that they were sort of mistreated by the other people, the people that were not the pilgrims. Like they kind of looked down on them, so to speak, sort of, sort of as if they were a, um, you know, a bunch of, I guess, nobodies or, you know, these aren't, eh, I don't know if we like these people that much. Again, I'm going to read the Mayflower at some point to get more detail on that. But as they go to America, and they finally get there after, I think it was over four months, maybe three, maybe uh, it wasn't four months. It might have been eight weeks. But it took a long time. And they had plenty of issues with seasickness and, and death. And then they finally make it. And they can't even get down to where they were trying to go, which I believe is the New York area, the Hudson Valley area, I think it was called back then. So they were trying to get there, and they couldn't make it. And they decided to go to or up to the Massachusetts-Boston area. And that's when they create the Mayflower Compact. And when you think about the Mayflower Compact, this thing, the document is one of the most significant documents in all of history made through these hundred plus people that are on this Mayflower. A lot of them didn't know each other and they had to come up with a compromise basically because, you know, half the ship wants to go, you know, check out and find the Hudson, you know, forget the going to Massachusetts. We don't want to go over there. And so the other half is saying, oh yes, we do want to go that way. And we should go that way. It's our only viable option. And so anyways, they come up with this document and I don't know, since the Magna Carta, maybe even, if there had been a more, you know, document that was representative of representative government or even 
I guess you might say, democracy in itself. But it was significant and it was huge. And so they go up there and another thing I didn't realize is that, you know, it wasn't like they just went up there and found a spot fast and easy. You know, they actually had to spend a lot of time looking around, trying to find a place. And they finally found a place. You know, they're, they're sending out scouts and they find a place. And it's not like, you know, okay, everybody just get your bags and get off. They actually had to build things with their own hands, figure out how to do things, cutting the trees down, making the forts, making the, the common house. Common house, I think, is what they called it. Might have been the first building that they built. And so they've got this common house that they built. Within that first winter, I think they left around September. And so they're they're going to New England, you know, right before the wintertime. Imagine that. You know, that's amazing. And when they're going there in New England and that during during that time, what do they realize is that I mean you're you're dead of winter. Anything can happen and everything does happen. They lose half the crew. Maybe even a little bit more than half the crew. They're down to like fifty people. So and imagine that. And it's not like it's fifty people that are segmented. It's like fifty of everybody from all of the different families. So you probably had widowers and widows and orphans and the whole lot of people that were just marooned on their own by themselves. So what could they do? I guess they would have to just join up. And you, and you know, you think about back then, people were not, you know, they weren't skilled with medicine as much as we are. They didn't have things like antibiotics, of course, or any kind of other thing that would help them. All they had was their faith in God. And that's what they, that's what they, you know, presumed to have. Now, I would assume that, you know, the other 50 that were going, some of them may not have had any religion or any type of faith in God whatsoever. But I'm looking at it from the, the pilgrim standpoint. And that's where they go from, is their faith in God. And so, you know, not to go into the entire history, but they, you know, they make contact with the Indians. But they make contact with these Native Americans. And one guy that actually spoke English, you know, talk about providence of God. The guy comes up to him and says, hey, I spent time in England, or France maybe, and I came back here and the people that I grew up with and loved, they're dead and they're gone because of a plague. And so this town brings him in and he helps them, you know, make their way with the other tribes of that area and region that basically survive. And that's how they were doing it from there. And so what happens? Well, as time goes by, Plymouth does flourish. It doesn't flourish as much as I probably you would probably think it did. But it attracts other pilgrims and Puritans to come to the Boston area. And Boston explodes. Boston becomes the area where people want to go and want to find their dream of being in the New World. And that's where you get the Puritans that come in to New England. And they start the life that we, that we know that would become New England. I read um, recently the autobiography of... I'm sorry, not the autobiography. The biography of John Adams... And that was very eye-opening because, you know, you're, you're skipping a easily 100-plus years into the future with John Adams. But he came from that lineage, came from that time of the Puritans of Boston area and that surrounding area. Quincy, I believe, was the name of the town that he was from. And from there, that's where he and that town went. And you get basically kind of the ups, up-and-comings of what would become America, you know, you think how he was formative in creating the Constitution, 
the Bill of Rights and that sort of thing. You know, the First Continental, Second Continental Congress. They would come years later in the late 1700s. But looking back on the the Pilgrims, you know, it's kind of like where it all started in a lot of ways. I mean, most of the time we think about Plymouth Rock, we celebrate the Thanksgiving. And a lot of times I always thought the first Thanksgiving was, hey, they landed a month later, hey, they met the natives, and then they had their feast, and that was the first Thanksgiving. No, that happened the next year. <laughs> that happened, you know, they landed in December, and then the next year after all that hardship, after all that death and time and, and trying to establish themselves, that's when they finally were able to establish themselves and have a Thanksgiving with the other tribe of Indians in the area that lived there. And that's where they would go from there. So to me, it's really interesting. And I'm planning to read a, um, a a few books on colonial America because I think when you look at the roots of America and how it became what it is now, the more you can look at colonial America, the more you sort of get to the DNA of what we are and how we are. I mean, we've had so many iterations and things that have changed over time to make us who we are. But to me, you get down to the bare bones of how we became who we are by looking at Plymouth. When you go when you go back to Plymouth, I don't always, you know, Jamestown does have a, a cool colony history and I want to visit there one day. But I usually don't think of Jamestown when I think of the start of America. Like when you think of, let's think about how history of America started. And I usually don't go back to Jamestown. We almost seem to always go back to Plymouth and Plymouth Rock and how it happened. And as far as I know, Jamestown was more so started as a business function, you know, a kind of a, a place to start a colony, an agricultural colony, whereas Plymouth had the ideals. It had the idealistic religious overtones of Puritanism, pilgrims that were that were going by faith to America to start a life where they could worship God as they pleased and try to glorify him through their lives in the new colony the way that they had always wanted to. And to me, it's just kind of profound to think about that. So those are just some thoughts that I've had about that. And I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do another part of this at some point where I read, where I read more into it and get more into some of that history. You know, this is pretty much just me thinking off the top of my head of, of what I learned from that. And I really do want to learn more. We'll see where it goes from there. And a lot of that has implications on politics nowadays and how we, Think, what does it mean to be American? What does it mean to have freedom? What does it mean to be in a free society, you know, in a free in a free world with things that we think of every day and we take advantage of? You know, the freedom isn't free. And when you read these stories of people like the pilgrims, you learn how how much there is cost wise into these things. You know, you strip away the rhetoric, the the talking points of the day, and you get down to freedom, and you get down to people being able to live peacefully next to each other and do, so to speak, in a lot of ways, what they want to do, how they want to do it. But anyway, those are my thoughts, and thanks for joining me again, and I just thought that I would share those thoughts that I had today, and I'll just be giving some of my, you know, general thoughts on things, or just kind of my rants or deep thoughts, if you will. Gene... Deep, Gene's Deep Thoughts. Well, thanks for joining me.